Hello, everybody. Welcome to Always College Football, the Sunday recap edition of Always College Football. I'm in probably the most obscure place we've ever done the show. Uh, I am currently in Atlanta Airport, and I rented one of those little suites that they have. I didn't even know that these existed, but these are awesome. Uh, so we will talk about college football here in the private perfectness <laughs> in the middle of Atlanta. Let's talk a little bit about the weekend, man. It was an interesting weekend coming into it just because there were so many ranked teams that were playing on the road, thought maybe we'd get some chaos. Maybe we'd get some interesting results. Maybe there'd be a game or two here or there where it's like, yeah, you know, didn't see that coming. Didn't expect that, what have you. And I think it delivered to an extent. There were a lot of games that were really, really uncomfortable. But for instance, Georgia Auburn, very uncomfortable, right? USC against Colorado, very uncomfortable. Um, Washington on the road at Arizona, very uncomfortable. But these are the weeks that you just almost have to go through to become a great team. Like you almost have to have some calluses to get the guy's attention enough to the point where they now are totally going to buy in. And maybe the little things that they didn't do last week, which led to what was a less than convincing result, maybe they'll do those things next week. And then as a result, the team gets better. And I feel like every single year, the national champion at some point or another is going to be on the ropes. The example last year was when Georgia went on the road to Missouri. The, the year before that, Obviously, Clemson, Georgia, a very close game there in the first game of the year. In 2020, 2020, Alabama had to play a nail biter against Florida. You know, so anyone that's panicking today about their team because they played a little bit too close for comfort, don't worry. It might actually benefit you down the road. Let's start with the top team in America and Georgia. Uh, Brock Bowers is ridiculous. They, he continues to just do things that are just beyond comprehension. He, he's so athletic. He's so difficult to cover the run after the catch. Um, just an amazing, an amazing player, an amazing performance. So he basically said, I'm taking this thing. Little in-breaking route, takes it the distance. One of about four plays that are just highlight reel worthy that you're going to get from him. It was a less than stellar performance from Georgia, though, on the defensive side to allow big yardage, chunk yardage on the ground. It was an uncharacteristic performance uh, to see Peyton Thorne run that way. I don't I didn't know he had it in him. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know about you guys. I didn't know about uh, him being able to showcase the speed in the open field. But Georgia kind of licking their wounds a little bit. Next week's going to be a war against Florida or excuse me against Kentucky because what Kentucky did to Florida was downright domination the offensive line looks like they're back it looks like to an extent the the defense which we didn't we thought they were good we thought that they were pretty solid and we talked length about the quality that they have in the back end and and just they've always been solid in the front seven so that's not super surprising or shocking but it's pretty amazing to me when you look at Kentucky and knowing that we really didn't know a lot about them before yesterday, that team is built so similarly to uh, a Georgia and they're going to match up pretty well next week. I think that game is going to be an absolute war. Now Georgia's better 
and it's in Athens. But based on what Kentucky did, we're going to have an awesome time breaking that one down throughout the course of the week. Uh, Kansas and Texas, another big game we were on the call. Um, it was just disappointing to see Jalen Daniels not be available, right? Back tightness right before the game aggravated an injury that he had had earlier in the year, not be able to go. Felt like the entire game, Kansas was playing with one arm tied behind their back. And with all due respect to Jason being the backup, he just isn't a capable enough thrower to be able to threaten Texas to the point in which they could be really scared. Now, made a couple big plays. They had the touchdown on the left side, the post over the top. I... I didn't think it was going to be enough to be able to kind of maintain the status quo knowing their defense was running on fumes. Texas is extremely complete. They are an extremely complete outfit all over the field offensively. I think the offensive line's really good. I think the running backs are excellent. I think Quinn Ewers is playing very confident football right now. They obviously have amazing weapons. I hope Jatavion Sanders, their tight end, will be okay. But if he's not, they have so many other guys that can at least fill the void for an extended period of time. But defensively, their front seven remains elite. I still stand by the fact that I think that's arguably the best defensive line in America. I think they're really, really good. But the secondary is a question mark, and we didn't get to necessarily see it against Kansas. But I remain questioning that group in general, and which means to my next point. They play Oklahoma next week, and Oklahoma – Right now, a little bit like gangbusters. Oklahoma's playing really well on both sides of the football. And if you look at what Dylan Gabriel's doing and the accuracy that he's put on display. Now, yesterday, playing against Iowa State, they were not necessarily ever going to be within striking distance or threaten by Iowa State. I mean, they, they struggled. Okay, we understand that. But Dylan Gabriel and his wide receivers are playing at a really high level right now now the running game is not elite i mean they're still averaging you know they're not doing a lot on the ground so maybe texas can just help and and play a little bit softer but next week man the big question mark with texas is their secondary oklahoma's built to take advantage of that secondary that's going to be an incredible game there in dallas for the red river rivalry both teams i think look really good Really good. I can assure you this. I will make you a guarantee. It will not be 49 nothing this year. <laughs> I know I'm not going out on a crazy limb right there, but it will not be 49 nothing this year. Another game in the 230 window that I was watching a little bit as well. Michigan and Nebraska. You can't out Michigan, Michigan. So Nebraska's just not built. It's not a good matchup for them. So Michigan flexing on a team that really isn't necessarily put built ready to take advantage of what might have question marks in some areas, not, not going to happen. So I think Nebraska didn't learn anything from them, really. I think it's a bad matchup. Simple as that. I still think Nebraska is going to be a tough football team, physical football team in time, but, but not against the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan had their best performance of the year by far. Terrific, terrific performance. And I think that there's a lot to feel good about with where Michigan's at right now, especially on the defensive side. I think the offense, yes, there's some things I would like to see tweaked, but defensively, man, they are cooking with gas. USC and Colorado, conversely. Um, Obviously, USC comes out of the gates 
swinging. I mean, they're up big at halftime. Everyone's thinking, here we go again, right? Here we go again. It's going to be Oregon, Colorado 2.0. SC is going to turn on the Jets and, and just completely take off in the second half. And clearly that wasn't the case. Colorado comes all the way back, makes it very interesting, very interesting at the end of the game. Caleb Williams is amazing. We, we know that, okay? I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I think Marshawn Lloyd has, has really looked good up to this point. But USC's defense is a real issue. I mean, I'm just, I thought that there were strides taken. I thought that there were, I thought that there'd be a little bit better edge presence. I just, everything I thought that I, you know, all the progress that I thought that had been made by USC wasn't real. And they give up 565 yards in this game and 41 points. And a lot of it came in the second half. So what is the problem? To give up nearly 200 yards on the ground to a team that hasn't successfully run the football all year long is inexcusable. It's just completely inexcusable. So at some point, I, and I don't know what the fix is. I don't know what the, what the answers are, but they got to get something done on that side of the ball, man. I mean, they have to get better there. I mean, thought that Bear Alexander you know, would be a difference maker there at nose tackle for him. Thought the guys they brought in that were playing off the edge would be potential difference makers, man. But they just, they're going to get got by somebody. And I, I don't know who it is, but Colorado showed good fight, still have a lot of holes on defense. But Shadur Sanders pulled off a couple throws in that second half that were just ridiculous. So that team can, they have firepower, man. They can make it interesting for sure. And I kind of talked about it last week. I thought Colorado matched up better with SC than they did Oregon. So I'm not surprised that the game was more competitive, but I am surprised that it was as competitive as it was. Another team that SC will see here in just a little week, little bit, a couple weeks down the road, Notre Dame fighting Irish. Notre Dame had this game totally in control. I mean, I'd, it didn't feel to the first half of that football game watching it every single snap. We got to the restaurant to watch that game, and it was prominently displayed right in front of me. It was the biggest TV in the world. Anyways, so I'm watching that game every single snap. I was worthless in conversation with anybody else at the table because I was just glued to the television. I'm sitting there thinking, man, it feels like Notre Dame just going to walk the dog here. It feels like they're going to just continue to pound them. They're running the ball pretty well. They have good balance of run pass. They didn't necessarily do a great job in being able to, you know, they didn't really do a great job in being able to create big plays, but just felt like Notre Dame was going to just take this thing and, and completely shut down anything that Duke was throwing at them. Uh, and to be honest, I thought that their defense was impenetrable early. I mean, they played really well, relentless. And then second half rolls around and Duke puts a drive together. Next thing you know, now it's 13-7. Then they put another drive together, right, and get the touchdown to take the lead. And it's like, boy, this thing flipped fast. It flipped real fast. And obviously the play at the end where Estime takes the distance to score the touchdown at the end of the game, just as a like coaching thought process here, would have not hated him to you know take a knee at the one-yard line and kneel on it and extinguish the rest of the clock. Uh, 
and kick a field goal to win it, even though I know if you don't ever want to trust field goal kickers. Um, because giving the ball back to Duke there, obviously, I know that there was 30 seconds left, but would have liked for him to have declared down in the situation. But either way, it was a good win by the Fighting Irish. I'm sick to my stomach about the Riley Leonard injury. I mean, absolutely sick to my stomach. Obviously got rolled up, was leaving the ca- leaving the game on crutches. Haven't heard as of right now exactly what that injury is, but I'm sick to my stomach about it, man. He's a great kid, has had a great start to the year, and I'm just really hopeful that it's not something that could be a season ender or have him miss extended time. So that was really, really disappointing. And then final takeaway, I think as we kind of survey the landscape, we'll talk about this on the Monday edition of Always College Football. Alabama's getting going. LSU is not. That was one of the most pathetic displays of defensive football I think I've ever seen. I mean, okay, great. That's, you know, we a lot of people will credit the offense and say, oh boy, you know, like, wow, what great offensive football. They're throwing hitches and guys are making guys miss. It's not like they're, you know, these are, these are some advanced routes. It's not like these are some chaotic offensive scheme that's impossible to defend. Like LSU was terrible on defense. So was Ole Miss. But I've come to expect that at times from Ole Miss. I have not come to expect that from LSU. And Ole Miss, great job of weathering the storm. Uh, great job, obviously, scoring there at the very end. Similar situation, by the way, with Ole Miss. Declare down at the end of the game. Like, you're in a situation, and you're, you're cruising. You have the ball. You're obviously within field goal range. But instead, you score which gives LSU an opportunity with 40 seconds left. Trey Harris should have taken a knee at the one-yard line, and they should have sat there and and waited and waited and then kick a game-winning field goal to win the game 50-49. to So another situation where situational awareness at the end of the game, not necessarily uh, on display, but either way, this was a back-and-forth track meet from the very beginning. Thought LSU made some nice adjustments there in the middle offensively to kind of get things going. Obviously, the fumble early from Jaden Daniels, they really only kind of stopped themselves. But I don't know, man. Like, what's going on with the defense there in Baton Rouge? And, hey, credit to Lane Kiffin. That was a good bounce-back performance. They got completely shut down, obviously, a week ago in Tuscaloosa. So they got going in a nice rhythm and took advantage of what is a remarkably porous secondary. I don't know how else to describe it. Alabama, on the other hand, I had kind of talked about the fact that the SEC West last week was a three-horse race. And I'm warming to the idea, naturally, that it's no longer a three-horse race. I think A&M's legit. I think they're better with Wigman, but was impressed with what I saw yesterday from Max Johnson. And I was impressed with what he did really down the stretch of the game the week before. But Alabama is starting to round into shape. And I'm not saying at this point that Alabama's passing attack is a well-oiled machine. It's, it's probably not, but there's been progress made. And I, I'm not real huge on what I've seen from Mississippi State to this point. Just going to be honest. I think they're very average. Um, but 
that's a difficult place to play. Eight o'clock at night, local time. It's going to be loud. It's going to be rowdy. And Alabama handled their business, got out to a big lead early, and then just maintained and cruised there in the second half of that football game. So very impressed with what I saw from them. And then, obviously, the SEC West right now, it's feeling more and more. Two weeks ago, the program was dead. Now, it's feeling more and more like Alabama is probably going to be the favorite in the SEC West. And they have to go to A&M, and that will be a remarkably difficult game. No doubt about it. It always is. But I think if I had to pick them again right now, the SEC West goes through Tuscaloosa again, which is pretty crazy because it certainly wasn't feeling that way the last couple of weeks. So that'll do it for us here at Always College Football. We're going to have a bunch of other breakdowns here on the Monday edition. So check us out here when we post our show about 24 hours from now. Check us out. We'll dive a little bit deeper. We'll take the 10 things that we learned from the college football weekend, and we'll do our best to try to have some fun with it along the way. So that'll do it for us here. Appreciate all of you for being with us. Appreciate Minute Suites here in uh, Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. So good to know that this is here in case we need an emergency pod to tape every once in a while. But either way, good time had by all. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to Jake. Uh, Jack, by the way, quite literally on an airplane on Wi-Fi, go-go in-flight right now, putting this show together. So appreciate you guys so much for all you do for college football. Thanks for all you do for the show. And thanks for all of you for listening to us here on a Sunday recap edition of Always College Football.